19. Storer was appointed United States Minister to Belgium, and Mrs. Storer took a Japanese artist, Asano, to Brussels, to instruct her in bronze work. Two years later Mr. Storer's mission was changed to Spain, and there Mrs. Storer continued, under Asano's guidance, her work in bronze, some of the results being seen in the mounting of her pottery. At present Mr. Storer is our ambassador to Austria and Mrs. Storer writes me that she hopes to continue her work in bronze in Vienna. In the summer of 1903 Mrs. Storer was in Colorado Springs, where she was much interested in the pottery made by Mr. Van Bruegel. She became one of the directors of the Van Bruegel Pottery Company, and encouraged the undertaking most heartily. Stum, Maude, born in Cleveland, Ohio, pupil of art students league under Cunyon Cox and Siddons Mowbray, and of Oliver Murderson in Paris where her painting was also criticized and approved by Whistler. Her earliest work was flower painting, in which she gained an enviable reputation. In Paris she began the study of figure painting, and her exhibition at the Salon was favorably received, the purity and brilliancy of her coloring being especially commended. Several of Miss Tum's pictures are well known by reproductions. Among these is the Mother and Child, the original of which is owned by Mr. Patterson, of the Chicago Tribune. Her calendars, too, are artistic and popular, some of these have reached a sale of nearly half a million. A series of studies of Sarah Bernhardt, in pastel, and a portrait of Julia Marlowe are among her works in this medium. Many of her figure subjects, such as, a Venetian matron, and, a violinist, are portraits, not studies from professional models. This artist has painted an unusual variety of subjects but is ambitious in still another department of painting decorative art in which she believes she could succeed. Her works are seen in the exhibitions of the Society of American Artists and of the American Watercolor Society. Swaboda, Josephine, born in Vienna, 1861, pupil of Lothberger and Ivy Berger. This portrait artist has been successful and numbers among her subjects the Princess Henry of Prussia, the late Queen of England whose portrait she painted at Balmoral in 1893, the Minister Bauhaus, and several members of the Royal House of Austria. The portrait of Queen Victoria was exhibited at the Watercolor Club, Vienna. She also paints charming miniatures. Her pictures are in both oil and watercolors, and are praised by the critics of the exhibitions in which they are seen. Swope, Mrs. Kate, Honorable Mention at National Academy of Design, 1888. Honorable Mention and Gold Medal, Southern Art League, 1895, Highest Award, Louisville Art League, 1897, Member of Louisville Art League, Born in Louisville, Kentucky, Pupil of Edgar Ward and M. Flagg in New York, and later of B.R. Phipps, Mrs. Swope devotes herself almost entirely to sacred subjects, the pictures that have been awarded medals are Madonnas, she prefers to paint her pictures out of doors and in the sunlight which results in her working in a high-key and, as she writes, in tender, opalescent color. One of her metal pictures is the head of a Madonna, out of doors, in a hazy, blue shadow, against a background of grapevine foliage. The head is draped in white, the eyes are cast down upon the beholder. A sunspot kisses the white draperies on the shoulder. It is a young, girlish face, but the head is suggestive of great exaltation. A second picture which received an award was a, Madonna and Child, out of doors. The figure is half life size, dressed in white. The Madonna is stretched at full length upon the grass, raised on one arm. 
she gazes into the face of the infant Christ child, Mrs. Swope has had success in pastel, in which, not long since, she exhibited a mother and child, which was much admired, the mother in an arbor held the child up and reverently kissed the cheek, it was called, love, and was exhibited in New York, Philadelphia, and Chicago. Mrs. Swope's most ambitious work 5 by 3 feet in size represents an allegorical subject and is called, Revelation, Suze, Mademoiselle, Lee, three silver medals from the School of Arts, Geneva, Diploma of Honor at the National Swiss Exposition, 1896, member of Lafini, Geneva, born at Genoa and studied there under Professors Gillet, Hobby, and Caston, this artist paints landscapes, Swiss subjects principally. Her pictures of Mont Blanc and Chamonix are popular and have been readily sold. They are in private collections in several countries, and when exhibited have been praised in German and French as well as in Swiss publications. S.Y.A.M.O.U.R. Madame, Marguerite, Honorable Mention, 1887, Bronze Medal at Exposition at Lyon, born at Prairie, 1861, Pupil of Mercy. Her principal works are a plaster statue, New France. 1886. In the Museum of Izudun, a statue of the Voltaire, a plaster statue. Life, a plaster group. The Last Farewells, a statue of Diana. In the Museum of Amiens, a great number of portrait busts. Among them those of Jules Grevy, Flammarion, J. Clarity, etc. At the Salon, Artistes Francais. 1902. This artist exhibited a portrait of MGL, and in 1904, a vision, and, Lobay Mox Camellias, Taylor, Elizabeth V. Sears Prize, Boston Art Museum, Bronze Medal, Nashville Exposition, 1897, member of the Copley Society, Boston, pupil of E.C. Tarbell and Joseph D. Camp in the School of the Museum of Fine Arts, Boston, this artist paints portraits in miniature and in life size. Her works are numerous and have been seen in many exhibitions. T-H-A-U-L-O-W. Madame. Alexandra. Wife of the great Scandinavian painter. This lady is an artist in bookbinding and her work is much admired. A writer. H.F. says. In the studio. December. 1903. When the exhibition of bookbinding was held some time ago at the Musée Galliera. Madame Paolo's showcase attracted attention by its variety and its grace. The charm of these bindings lies in the fact that they have none of the massive heaviness of so many productions of this kind. One should be able to handle a book with ease, and not be forced to rest content with beholding it displaying its beauties behind glass or on the library shelf, and Madame Paolo understood this perfectly when she executed the bindings now reproduced here. But these bindings are interesting not only from the standpoint of their utility and intelligent application, their ornamentation delights one by its graceful interpretation of nature, rendered with a very special sense of decoration, moreover, the coloring of these mosaics of leather is restrained and fresh, and the hollyhocks and the hortensias, the bunches of mistletoe and the poppies, which form some of her favorite motifs, go to make up a delicious symphony, T-H-E-V-N-I-N, Marie and Rosalie, medals at the salons of 1849, 1859, 1861. Born at Lyon, pupil of Leon Cognad, portrait and figure painter. Among her pictures the following are noticeable, Flora McIver and Rose Bradwardine, 1848, portrait of Abbe Jacket, 1859, portrait of a lady, 1861, Thomas Sawyer, Madame, Mathilde, honorable mention, 1880, third class medal, 1881, 
Bronze Medal, Exposition, 1889, Born at Trois, 1859, Pupil of Chapuan Kane. The principal works of this sculptor are, a Russian horse, lost dogs, Russian greyhounds, huntsman and a poacher. In the Museum of Semmer, Combat of Dogs, purchased by the government, Plow and Calf. In the Museum of Nevers, Stag and Bloodhound. In the Museum of Trois, etc. At the Salon, Artistes Francais, 1902. Madame, Thomas Sawyer exhibited an Irish setter and a lave rock. And in 1903, under the White Squall. T-H-O-R-N-Y-C-R-O-F-T. Mary, born 1814, died 1895, daughter of John Francis, the sculptor, whose pupil she was. This artist exhibited at the Royal Academy when very young. Her first important work was a life-size figure called The Flower Girl. In 1840 she married Thomas Thornycroft, and went to Rome two years later, spending a year in study there. Queen Victoria, after her return, commissioned her to execute statues of the royal children as the Four Seasons. These were much admired when exhibited at the Academy. Later she made portrait statues and busts of many members of the royal family, which were also seen at the Academy exhibition. In his, Essays on Art, Palgrave wrote, Sculpture has at no time numbered many successful followers among women. We have, however, in Mrs. Thornycroft, one such artist who, by some recent advance and by the degrees of success which she has already reached, promises fairly for the art. Some of this lady's busts have refinement and feeling. Thurber, Caroline Nettleton, born in Oberlin, Ohio, pupil of Howard Helmick in Washington, and of Benjamin Constant and Jean Paul Lawrence in Paris. In 1898 Mrs. Thurber took a studio in Paris, where her first work was the portrait of a young violinist which was exhibited in the salon of the following spring. This picture met with immediate favor with the public, the art critics, and the press. The Duchess of Sutherland, upon seeing it, sent for the artist and arranged for a portrait of her daughter, which was painted the following autumn while Mrs. Thurber was a guest at Dunrobin Castle. This portrait was subsequently exhibited in London and Liverpool. Mrs. Thurber has painted portraits of many persons of distinction in Paris among them one of Mademoiselle, Olivier, only daughter of Emile Olivier, president of the Académie Française, Monsieur Olivier, in a personal note to the artist, made the following comment upon the portrait of his daughter, how much I thank you for the portrait of my daughter, it lives, so powerfully is it colored, and one is tempted to speak to it, Mrs. Thurber is an exhibitor in the Salon, Royal Academy, and New Gallery, London, and other foreign exhibitions, as well as in those of this country. She now has a studio in the family home at Bristol, Rhode Island, on Narragansett Bay, where she works during half the year. In winter she divides her time among the larger cities as her orders demand, while Mrs. Thurber's name is well known through her special success in the portraiture of children. She has painted many prominent men and women in Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, Washington, and New England. Among her later portraits are those of Mrs. James Sullivan, one of the lady commissioners of the St. Louis Exposition, Lieutenant, General Nelson A. Miles, Albert, son of Dr. Shaw, editor of the Review of Reviews, Mrs. A. A. F. Johnston, former Dean of Oberlin College, Augustus S. Miller, Mayor of Providence, Han, L. F. C. Garvin, Governor of Rhode Island, and Judge Austin Adams, late of the Supreme Court of Iowa, T-H-U-R-W-A-N-G-E-R. Felicite C.H.A.S.D.A. and I. This remarkable artist, 
not long since, when 84 years old, sent to the exhibition at Nicewich Island in a sense, a branch of the Paris Salon three portraits which she had just finished. They were hung in the place of honor and unanimously voted to belong to the first class. Madame, for longer was the pupil of Delacroix during five years. The master unconsciously did his pupil an injury by saying to her father, that daughter of yours is wonderfully gifted, and if she were a man I would make a great artist of her. Hearing this, the young artist burst into tears, and her whole career was clouded by the thought that her sex prevented her being a really great artist, and induced in her an abnormal modesty. This occurred about 45 years ago, since then we have signally changed all that. Delacroix, who was an enthusiast in color, was the leader of one school of his time, and was opposed by Angra, who was so wanting in this regard that he was accused of being colorblind. Madame, for longer had a curious experience with these artists, when but seventeen she was commissioned by the government to copy a picture in the Louvre. One morning, when she was working in the gallery, Angra passed by and stopped to look at her picture. He examined it carefully, and with an expression of satisfaction said, I am so very glad to see that you have the true idea of art. Remember always that there is no color in nature, the outline is all, if the outline is good, no matter about the coloring, the picture will be good. This story would favor the colorblind theory, as Angra apparently saw color neither in the original nor the copy. An hour later Delacroix came to watch the work of his pupil, and after a few minutes exclaimed, I am so happy, my dear girl to see that you have the true and only spirit of art. Never forget that in nature there is no line, no outline, everything is color. In 1852 Madame, for longer was in Philadelphia and remained more than two years. She exhibited her pictures, which were favorably noticed by the Philadelphia Inquirer. In July of the above year her portraits were enthusiastically praised. Not a lineament, not a feature, however trivial, escapes the all-searching eye of the artist who has the happy faculty of causing the expression of the mind and soul to beam forth in the lifelike and speaking face. In October, 1854, her picture of a Madonna and Child was thus noticed by the same paper, for brilliancy, animation, maternal solicitude, form, grace, and feature. It would be difficult to imagine anything more impressive. It is in every sense a gem of the pictorial art, while the execution and finish are such as genius alone could inspire. T.I.R.I. Lion Case, L.I.E.W.E.N.A., born in Bruges, a daughter of Master Simon. This lady was not only esteemed as an artist in London, but she won the heart of an English nobleman, to whom she was given in marriage by Henry V.I.I. Her miniatures were much admired and greatly in fashion at the court. Some critics have thought the Turlings to be the same person with Lewina Bennings or Benick, whose story, as we know it, is much the same as the above. T.O.R.I. Bernard Favon, Diploma of Honor, Budapest and Agron, born at Innsbruck, 1846, pupil of Hausch, Herr, and Schindler. Among her pictures are, Girl in the Garden, Blossoming Meadows, Autumn Morning, and a variety of landscapes. Toro, Petronella, a painter of miniatures on ivory which have attained distinction. Among those best known are the portraits of the Prince of Caragmano, Ducamadeo and the Duchess d'Aosta with the sons of the Prince of Carignano. She has painted a young woman in an antique dress and another in a modern costume. Her works are distinguished by firmness of touch and great intelligence. She has executed some most attractive landscapes. True. Oartre. Katharina. 
born at Bamberg, 1742-1811, a successful painter of flowers and still life. Her talent was remarkable when but a child, and her father, who was her only master, began her lessons when she was ten years old. When still young she was appointed court painter at Mannheim, and in 1776 was made a professor in the academy at Dusseldorf. Her pictures are in the galleries of Bamberg and Karlsruhe, and in the Darmstadt and Stuttgart museums. Arusha D.U.R.M.E.N.E.A. Anna G.R.D.R.U.D.I.S.D. Member of the Academy of Fine Arts. Cadiz, 1846. Born in Cadiz, 1812-1850. She began the study of drawing with Javier, and after her marriage to Juan José de Hermeta, professor of painting and sculpture and director of the Cadiz Academy, continued her work under his direction. A. St. Philomena and Resurrection of the Body, exhibited in 1846, are among her best pictures. Her St. Geronimo is in the new cathedral at Cadiz, and the Academy has shown respect to her memory by placing her portrait in the room in which its sessions are held. Vianney, Maria, born at Bologna, 1670-1711. I find no reliable biographical account of this artist whose name appears in the catalogue of the Dresden Gallery as the painter of the reclining Venus, lying on a blue cushion, with a cupid at her side. Villarrealisti, Marion, born in 1680. This artist belonged in Antwerp and was of the celebrated artistic family of her name. She was a pupil of her father, Hermann, and her uncle, Simon Vierelst. She became famous for the excellent likenesses she made and for the artistic qualities of her small portraits. Like so many other artists, she was distinguished for accomplishments outside her art. She was a fine musician and a marvel in her aptitude in acquiring both ancient and modern languages. A very interesting anecdote is related of her, as follows, when in London, one evening at the theatre she sat near six German gentlemen, who expressed their admiration of her in the most flattering terms of their language, and at the same time observed her so closely as to be extremely rude, the artist in their own tongue, remarked that such extravagant praise was the opposite of a compliment. One of them repeated his words in Latin, when she again replied in the same language. The strangers then asked her if she would give them her name. This she did and further told them that she lived with her uncle, Simon Bierelst. In the end she painted the portrait of each of these men, and the story of their experience proved the reason for the acquaintance of the artist being sought by people of culture and position. Walpole speaks in praise of her portraits and also mentions her unusual attainments in languages. V.I.G.A. Marie-Louise Elizabeth, member of the French Academy, born in Paris in 1755, that happy writer and learned critic, M. Charles Blanc, begins his account of her thus, all the fairies gathered about the cradle of Elizabeth V.G. As for the birth of the little princess in the kingdom of art, one gave her beauty, another genius, the fairy gracious offered her a pencil and a palette. The fairy of marriage, who had not been summoned, told her, It is true, that she should wed Emily Brunn, the expert in pictures but for her consolation the fairy of travelers promised her that she should bear from court to court, from academy to academy, from Paris to Petersburg, and from Rome to London, her gaiety, her talent and her easel before which all the sovereigns of Europe and all those whom genius had crowned should place themselves as subjects for her brush. It is difficult to write of Madame Lebrun in outline because her life was so interesting in detail, though she had many sorrows, 
there is a halo of romance and a brilliancy of atmosphere about her which marks her as a prominent woman of her day. And her autobiography is charming it is so alive that one forgets that she is not present, telling her story. The father of this gifted daughter was an artist of moderate ability and made portraits in pastel, which Elizabeth, in her, souvenirs, speaks of as good and thinks some of them worthy of comparison with those of the famous Latour. M.V.G. was an agreeable man with much vivacity of manner. His friends were numerous and he was able to present his daughter to people whose acquaintance was of value to her. She was but twelve years old at the time of his death, and he had already so encouraged her talents as to make her future comparatively easy for her. Elizabeth passed five years of her childhood in a convent, where she constantly busied herself in sketching everything that she saw. She tells of her intense pleasure in the use of her pencil, and says that her passion for painting was innate and never grew less, but increased in charm as she grew older. She claimed that it was a source of perpetual youth, and that she owed to it her acquaintance and friendship with the most delightful men and women of Europe. While still a young girl, Mademoiselle, Vigi studied under Briard, Boyan, and Gruz, but Joseph Vermeer advised her to study the works of Italian and Flemish masters, and, Above all, to study nature for herself to follow no school or system. To this advice Madame, Ligran attributed her success. When 16 years old she presented two portraits to the French Academy, and was thus early brought to public notice. When 21 she married M. Ligran, of whom she speaks discreetly in her story of her life. But it was well known that he was of dissipated habits and did not hesitate to spend all that his wife could earn. When she left France. Thirteen years after her marriage, she had not so much as twenty francs. Although she had earned a million, she painted portraits of many eminent people, and was esteemed as a friend by men and women of culture and high position. The friendship between the artist and Marie Antoinette was a sincere and deep affection between two women, neither of whom remembered that one of them was a queen. It was a great advantage to the artist to be thus intimately associated with her sovereign lady. Even in the great state picture of the queen surrounded by her children, at Versailles, one realizes the tenderness of the painter as she lovingly reproduced her friend, Marie Antoinette desired that Madame, Lebrun should be elected to the Academy, Verme approved it, and an unusual honor was shown her in being made an academician before the completion of her reception picture, at that time it was a great advantage to be a member of the Academy as no other artists were permitted to exhibit their works in the Salon of the Beaux-Arts. Madame, Lebrun had one habit with which she allowed nothing to interfere, which was taking a rest after her work for the day was done. She called it her, calm, and to it she attributed a large share of her power of endurance. Although it lost her many pleasures, she could not go out to dinner or entertain at that hour. The evening was her only time for social pleasures, but when one reads her, souvenirs, and realizes how many notable people she met in her studio and in evening society. It scarcely seems necessary to regret that she could not dine out. Madame, Lebrun was at one period thought to be very extravagant, and one of her entertainments caused endless comments. Her own account of it shows how greatly the cost was exaggerated. She writes that on one occasion she invited 12 or 15 friends to listen to her brother's reading during her, calm. The poem read was the voyage to Jeanne and Asharsis and Greece, in which a dinner was described, and even the receipts for making various sauces were given. The artist was seized with the idea of improvising a Greek supper. She summoned her cook and instructed her in what had been read, 
Among her guests were several unusually pretty ladies, who attired themselves in Greek costumes as nearly as the time permitted. Madame, Lebrun retained the white blouse she wore at her work, adding a veil and a crown of flowers. Her studio was rich in antique objects, and a dealer whom she knew loaned her cups, vases, and lamps. All was arranged with the effect an artist knows how to produce. As the guests arrived Madame, Lebrun added here and there an element of Grecian costume until their number was sufficient for an effective tableau vivant. Her daughter and a little friend were dressed as pages and bore antique vases. A canopy hung over the table. The guests were posed in picturesque attitudes, and those who arrived later were arrested at the door of the supper room with surprise and delight. It was as if they had been transported to another clime. A Greek song was chanted to the accompaniment of a lyre, and when the honey, grapes, and other dishes were served a logrek, the enchantment was complete. The poet recited odes from Anacreon and all passed off delightfully. The fame of this novel supper was spread over Paris, and marvelous tales were told of its magnificence and its cost. Madame, Lebrun writes, some ladies asked me to repeat this pleasantry. I refused for various reasons, and several of them were disturbed by my refusal. Soon a report that the supper had cost me 20,000 francs was spread abroad. The king spoke of it as a joke to the Marquis of Cubiers who fortunately had been one of the guests and was able to convince His Majesty of the folly of such a story. Nevertheless, the modest sum of 20,000 at Versailles became 40,000 at Rome. At Vienna the Baroness de Strogonoff told me that I had spent 60,000 francs for my Greek supper. You know that at Petersburg the price at length was fixed at 80,000 francs. And the truth is that it cost me about 15 francs. Early in 1789. When the warnings of the horrors about to take place began to be heard, Madame Lebrun went to Italy. In each city that she visited she was received with great kindness and many honors were shown her. In Florence she was invited to paint her own portrait, to be hung in that part of the Uffizi set apart for the portraits of famous painters. Later she sent the well-known portrait, near that of Angelica Kaufman. It is interesting to read Gerda's comparison of the two portraits. Speaking of Angelica's first, he writes, it has a truer tone in the coloring, the position is more pleasing, and the whole exhibits more correct taste and a higher spirit in art, but the work of Lebrun shows more careful execution, has more vigor in the drawing, and more delicate touches, it, has, moreover, a clear though somewhat exaggerated coloring, the French woman understands the art of adornment the headdress, the hair, the folds of lace on the bosom, all are arranged with care and, as one might say, con amor, the piquant, handsome face, with its lively expression, its parted lips disclosing a row of pearly teeth, presents itself to the beholder's gaze as if coquettishly challenging his admiration, while the hand holds the pencil as in the act of drawing, the picture of Angelica, with head gently inclined and a soft, intellectual melancholy pervading the countenance, evinces higher genius, even if, in point of artistic skill, the preference should be given to the other. Madame, Lebrun found Rome delightful and declared that if she could forget France she should be the happiest of women. She writes of her fellow artist, I have been to see Angelica Kaufman, whom I greatly desired to know. I found her very interesting, apart from her fine talent, on account of her mind and her general culture. She has talked much with me during the two evenings I have passed at her house. Her manner is gentle, she is prodigiously learned but has no enthusiasm, which, considering my ignorance, has not electrified me. 
I have seen several of her works, her sketches please me more than her pictures, because they are of a Titianesque color. Madame, Lebrun received more commissions for portraits than she could find time to paint in the three years she lived in Italy. She tells us, not only did I find great pleasure in painting surrounded by so many masterpieces, but it was also necessary for me to make another fortune. I had not a hundred francs of income. Happily I had only to choose among the grandest people the portraits which it pleased me to paint. Her account of her experiences in Italy is very entertaining. But at last the restlessness of the exile overcame her and impelled her to seek other scenes. She went to Vienna and there remained three other years, making many friends and painting industriously until the spirit of unrest drove her to seek new diversions. And she went to Russia. She was there received with great cordiality and remained six years years crowded with kindness labor, honor, attainment, joy, and sorrow. Her daughter was the one all-absorbing passion at once the joy and the grief of her life. She was so charming and so gifted as to satisfy the critical requirements of her mother's desires. In Petersburg, where the daughter was greatly admired and caressed, the artist found herself a thousand times more happy than she had ever been in her own triumphs. Madame, Lebrun was so constantly occupied and the need of earning was so great with her that she was forced to confide her daughter to the care of others when she made her debut in society. Thus it happened that the young girl met Ernigris, whom she afterward married. Personally he was not agreeable to Madame. Lebrun and his position was not satisfactory to her. We can imagine her chagrin in accepting a son-in-law who even asked her for money with which to go to church on his wedding day. The whole affair was most distasteful, and the marriage occurred at the time of the death of Madame. Lebrun's mother, she speaks of it as a time devoted to tears. Her health suffered so much from this sadness that she tried the benefit of change of scene, and went to Moscow, returning to Petersburg. She determined in spite of the remonstrances of her friends, and the inducements offered her to remain to go to France. She several times interrupted her journey in order to paint portraits of persons who had heard of her fame, and desired to have her pictures. She reached Paris in 1801 and writes thus of her return, I shall not attempt to express my emotions when I was again upon the soil of France, from which I had been absent twelve years. Fright, grief, joy possessed me, each in turn, for all these entered into the thousand varying sentiments which swept over my soul. I wept for the friends whom I had lost upon the scaffold, but I was about to see again those who remained. This France to which I returned had been the scene of atrocious crimes, but this France was my native land. But the new regime was odious to the artist, and she found herself unable to be at home, even in Paris. After a year she went to London, and remained in England three years. She detested the climate and was not in love with the people, but she found a compensation in the society of many French families who had fled from France as she had done. In 1804 Madame. Nigris was in Paris and her mother returned to see her. The young woman was very beautiful and attractive, very fond of society, entirely indifferent to her husband, and not always wise in the choice of her companions. Madame, Lebrun, always hard at work and always having great anxieties, at length found herself so broken in health, and so nervously fatigued that she longed to be alone with nature, and in 1808 she went to Switzerland. Her letters written to the Countess Potocka at this time are added to her souvenirs, and reveal the very best of her nature. Feeling the need of continued repose, she bought a house at Lumvashens, 
where she spent much time. In 1818 meters Lebrun died, and six years later the deaths of her daughter and her brother left her with no near relative in the world. For a time she sought distractions in new scenes and visited the Turin and other parts of France, but though she still lived a score of years, she spent them in Paris and Louvessens. She had with her two nieces, who cared for her more tenderly than anyone had done before. One of these ladies was a portrait painter and profited much by the advice of Madame Lebrun, who wrote of this period and these friends, they made me feel again the sentiments of a mother, and their tender devotion diffused a great charm over my life. It is near these two dear ones and some friends who remain to me that I hope to terminate peacefully a life which has been wandering but calm, laborious but honorable. During the last years of her life the most distinguished society of Paris was wont to assemble about her artists. Look.